Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 73. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. So we're, we find ourselves in an extremely unusual position. Actually, it's the first time it's ever happened. So here's a little behind the scenes of untangling Christianity. <laughs> so <laughs> when we kick things off, we had more than a few recordings in the vault, ready to be published or just needed to be a little scrubbed and freshened, and then they could be published. And December was a very crazy month for me and for Greg. And so... I don't know. We may have done one recording in December, but December, we haven't talked. Well, we talked the other night, but we haven't had a lot of contact and we haven't had a chance to record. And we are bound and determined not to miss a week, at least until we get to 100. So we are publishing, we're recording this on Friday, January 9th, and we are going to publish this on Monday the 12th, which is a somewhat short time frame for us, but we're getting it done. So over the Christmas holiday season, I had the opportunity to attend a couple of Christian Christmas events, and a couple things popped out at me in the literature that I was given or the program, and I thought that would make for some interesting discussion today. The first one came from a Christmas concert, and it's a a small liberal arts Christian college in the area. And uh, I thought I would just kind of read some sections from the program. It just kind of struck me in light of things that we have talked about, a slightly different view of God that you have advocated that mm-hmm. makes more sense to me than some of the other stuff I've always kind of known and heard. So I thought I would read it, see what your reactions are. I've sent you a scan of it, and we'll go from there. The intro is it's a, a, a word from the president. Perhaps the greatest mystery in all of history is the fact that God— The very God who spoke creation into existence was willing to take on human form. He came as a helpless infant born to a young, unwed teenager in a stable. And then it goes on. And then it kind of concludes with, If there's one message I hope you draw from our concert, it's this. Christmas isn't simply about the birth of a baby in a manger. It's about the distance the Creator was willing to go to redeem His creation. It is indeed His greatest mystery. And I think I was initially set off by the word mystery because we often talk about that in not so positive terms. But then I was also struck by this idea or the, the underlying current seemed to be that isn't it amazing that God would do this for us? Which hmm. made me think very vividly of the conversation we had and the example you gave of a child's about to run out into the street and get hit by a car. The child doesn't know that. The child runs, starts to run in the street. The parent grabs the child back and rescues the child from being run over by the car. And the what I recall from that conversation is your, your thought was, the child isn't saying, why did you do that? I didn't deserve that at all. The child is like, well, I know you love me so much. It doesn't surprise me that you did that. And so I'm kind of tying that into this idea of God loves us so much, why 
or if, as you advocate, if God loves us so much, why is it such a big surprise that he would go to such a distance to do something about it? Now, some will take hear that as me being flippant. I'm not intending to be flippant at all, but that's 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 what struck me from this. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, this one was <laughs> the first thing I think is when you said I went to some Christmas events. <laughs> I was just I was picturing you there. <laughs> I, I sm- enjoyed them actually. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, good. No, I no, I totally. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I went totally of my own free will. I wasn't coerced into any of them. <laughs> Um, I went willingly. I enjoyed them. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was just the subtle. Yeah. I would just, it was, I think it was having been out of those contexts for a very long time, Mm. getting some printed materials that I read some of it there and then took it home and then started reading it again and thinking, Oh wow, this is super, 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 super familiar. I think maybe I have a new perspective on this stuff that I haven't had before through our conversations. Yeah. Well, I, that sounds really, I think, really interesting and and probably really positive. Um, the one you've read here, I mean, I know that there are two. Um, it's funny when you mentioned this to me first and uh, I took a look at it and, uh, you know, I was reading through. And, yeah. And, and then I got to the end, the very last sentence, his greatest mystery being his being God's greatest mystery. And I thought, <clears throat> what exactly is mysterious? You know, because there are things that I think are mysterious, you know, uh, virgin birth or the um, incarnation or, you know, like, uh, I'm not going to be able to explain those. I'm not, and in a certain sense, like, though, I guess I'm not looking to explain them either, right? There are certain things that I'm looking to believe and maybe part of the, Part of what needs to be laid out here is when we're talking about something as a mystery, is it something that plays a functional role in our ability to hold to a set of beliefs? Or is it something that is part and parcel of those beliefs, but isn't itself crucial to either holding them or not holding them? If it's the second case, then I think though that's where a lot of the whole the, the mystery can can and should exist well. You know, I'm not suggesting that there are things, you know, that everything not critical to whether one decides to or is able to decide to be a Christian or anything else for that matter, any other belief set for that matter. Um that those things are just fine and dandy if they're mysterious and and you know uh, obscure. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going in that direction. I'm just saying when we go to the first example, and we say, "Well, it's mysterious about how God, uh, God, I don't. Let's say how what God's orientation is towards you. That's 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 a big mystery. Then I would want to be very careful. You know, for example, um, I'm not going to approach a big dog if if it's rather mysterious about whether or not that dog is well disposed to me, you know, unless I've got certain things like its owners there, it's on a leash, it's uh, whatever, like I'm just not going to do that. That's not smart. More so if it's something more dangerous than a dog. I think we need to figure out what what is mysterious here, exactly what. And I think, I think what I heard you saying was, you know, um, 
the love piece that God went to this extent to do this. And, and I think more so in the next one that we're going to talk about, I think there's more going on here than just God loving us. Um, you know, I think that, that example that I gave about the child running out in front of the, uh, the car and being saved by the parent or, or, you know, if it's, if you want to think about it this way, if it's your nephew or somebody like that, um, that doesn't entirely hold for this situation. It's a good example. It's not a, it's not a very good example, I think, but it certainly brings to bear, uh, the whole notion that God is, extremely positively oriented towards us. There is no mystery in that. If you're getting mystery there, my suggestion to you is uh, you're reading very selectively the Christian Bible, or you're not taking seriously the parts that indicate an incredible orientation positively towards humanity. So that part's not mysterious. So if that's where we're going with this, and that's kind of what I read it to be too, then I'm not really sure that whoever's writing this has been, I mean, I, I hesitate to say something like this because it sounds very brash, but honestly, I don't think somebody's reading their Bible well. I don't understand where they're getting that view from. Well, I wondered if, and I'm bringing this to it, I wondered if there was a flavor of, that we've seen some of the books and things we talked about, this whole sense of we don't deserve it at all. That's the undertone that I heard in this you know, it's mm-hmm. the one message that I hope we draw from our concert. It's this Christmas isn't simply about the birth of a baby in a manger. It's about the distance the creator was willing to go to redeem his creation. Mm-hmm. So that's the most important part, like how the distance that was required. And yeah, I don't but, know. <laughs> that doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything for me. And, and some can say, oh, gosh, you're so jaded and broken. Yeah, that you need to start in a lot of other places. But that just doesn't, I don't know. So we move to the next one, or are we just beating this to death? No, no, no. I, I think it's good. We can move to the next one. But I, I think the, the distance the Creator was willing to go to redeem His creation, but the distance the Creator was willing to go to also make good on His promise. Whoa. This is not this is nowhere to be found in the first one and the first one is is short what you read here is short this next one you're going to read is longer but this I I want to preface your next reading by focusing on this God made a promise so in Genesis 12 Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 there's again and again this reiteration of a promise that precedes the covenant God is on the hook God is on the hook. If you take the text seriously, God is on the hook. Right? You can't just slop That off. is totally missing. Well, it's nowhere there. That adds a really different orientation. Yeah, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? Now, you might want to ask some questions about, well, why is God, why did God do that? You know, and I think we've talked about this before. I mean, that's terrible negotiation. If you're trying to negotiate a deal... You don't go and offer the goods and then, and then promise somebody the goods and then go ahead and try to make the deal. The deal is such that the goods will be delivered according to certain criteria or not, right? That's what a deal is. God is essentially, you know, the deal is done before the deal is made. Now, that is weird. Or there's something else going on. So, yeah, sure. And I, I think that's a good, and no, it's actually, I think it's a good segue into the next one. 
Okay. So the next one came, it's titled The Manger and the Mystery, and it was a, it was like a reenactment of the road to Bethlehem, and so people were dressed up and like stopped in different places, and there were different reenactments, and so this little uh, booklet that we were given was like our papers, you know, if the Roman soldiers asked for your papers, you were supposed to produce this whole thing. Nobody asked for my papers, so I hung on to it. <laughs> so, but reading it, so so what struck me in reading this was it was a very succinct and very well-written presentation of what I've always understood the Christian message to be. Mm-hmm. So it, well, what's interesting in the first, I don't really know which parts of this to read, so maybe you can help me there, but it, it within the first, I guess the second paragraph or so, it says, Jesus' birth was the necessary beginning to the redemption of mankind, which maybe ties a little bit into the promise that you're talking about, but it is, that's all it really says. And then it goes on to talk about how uh, Jesus lived among the people and... I'll just read some of it. Jesus lived among us and revealed to us in an up-close and personal way the will and ways of God. According to the plan of God, the Father, the promised Messiah would voluntarily suffer an unjust death on a Roman cross. His voluntary death was God's method of forgiving our sins. When Christ gave up his life, he was sacrificing himself for us by taking the punishment we should receive for defying God. That is why Jesus was born and why he had to die. Had he not died for our sins, we would have had to die for our own. For, as God said, quote, the price of sin is death. And so this just kind of goes on to just, you know, the whole idea of sin and we've fallen short and there must be justice, justice for sin. And so Jesus stands in our place to provide that justice. And that's why he came and that's why he died. So... How am I doing so far? Where do you want to go with that? I really think this, I, I would like, unless you've got reservations, I'd like to post this with the post. It doesn't really indicate who it's from. And you can even, uh, uh, there's a, there's a, the, the, the author of this has signed it. You could just kind of uh, cover that over. Um, but this, when you told me you had this and I started reading this, I was extremely excited because I don't know if you recall what you mentioned, uh, what you said about this particular second one when you when you sent it to me. Yeah, I said this is this is the gospel message. Like this is a succinct a presentation of everything I've ever heard about the gospel and God and where you want to spend an eternity than like anything mm-hmm. we talked about. Mm-hmm. And it's probably I don't know four hundred or five hundred words, if that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think what I remember you saying was something like this, this, this is basically like a short form for what I got in church growing up. This was, yeah. this is like a summary of what church was. Yeah. This yeah. is, and the, the two bookends are Jesus is born. Isn't that awesome and amazing? And then the bookend is he was born so that he could die and mm-hmm. he died. He was born and he died so that we could be with God. Mm hmm. And in fact, the the end of it, okay. Go, so going back just a little bit. So the, the idea of their sin and and someone has to Jesus came to stand in a place. Quote, that's why Jesus died. He could have prevented his own death, but instead, Jesus went to the Roman cross as a lamb to the slaughter. He substituted himself for us and paid the price for our sin. He did it so God could clear us. 
Without that, any hope of salvation is dead. However, if we believe this message and ask God to forgive us, knowing Christ died for us and believing his death paid for our sin, then our death sentence is lifted, and we know we have a relationship with God in this life as well as an eternity with him in the next. Otherwise, we have no hope, no help, and no future. Life is a dead-end street. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In short, there are no bypasses, no end runs. If there had been any other way, would God have allowed his son to suffer such a cruel and unnecessary death? Obviously not. I think that's a little presumptuous. It's my own <laughs> opinion. And then this is the kicker. This is the part that it just as a head scratcher makes no sense to me, but sounds very familiar. That's how immeasurable God's love is for us. This is what the Bible means when it says, by grace you are saved through faith. And then it ends by making an offer to call the phone number at the church to talk to them more if you have questions, which... Wow. Now where have I... I think I'm just making this more and more confusing, but... <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Take it somewhere. <laughs> All I, I know is it's familiar, and I'm just like, uh, I don't know. This is... Uh, hold on. So they've made this pamphlet up. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, six and a half pages of, of writing... And and a, a last one page of like verses with various font sizes. And it's in the footprint of a of a passport. In terms of size, it's a little booklet like a passport. Okay, yeah. I mean, I I'm still super excited because as you were even reading a few of the parts, and I think this whole thing could be could be read aloud. I th- I think it bears reading because it's it's um, succinct and yet diverse. It's covering a lot of ground. And it's, it's, it does a number of things. First of all, it's clear. Second of all, it appears reasonable. Thirdly, it's communicating something that I think, as you said, you've called it, you know, the gospel. It is, it's, this is the story. For all of those reasons, right, when people assess Christianity, when they, when you say I'm a Christian and they say, oh, I know what that is. I think they'd be well within their rights if you said, well, what exactly do you think that is? If they were to quote most of this, I think they'd be well within their rights. Yeah, that's fair. In terms of what, in other words, this is typical. And I think it's, it's, it's it for, I'm, and I'm not trying to degrade it at all. Um, I think as being typical, it's, it's, you know, extremely well done. It's clear. It's, it's comprehensive. It's, it's actually fairly diverse and yeah, understandable, but there are some things about this that are that that really struck me. You know, it was interesting. Um, I don't know how to do this other than to kind of skip around. I haven't I haven't done this systematically, but it was funny. And the- before you go there, though, does this message resonate with your background? Like, is this the message you heard in the Christian settings that you were in, or is it different? My settings were, my setting was evangelical and it was Baptist and it was, yes, generally this. I think this is actually better written than most of the things I would have come across or been exposed to. Um, okay, just go on. I, I sometimes get the impression that our backgrounds were totally different, but okay. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so in that sense. I guess for me, I'm just so far from mine. You know, because mm, that was so long ago. You traveled so far away from it. Yeah, and I'm struck by some of this stuff. Like, on the one hand, I read it and I just think, 
oh, okay, this is his perspective on this. And then I realized, no, you know, he's not just speaking for himself, this, this particular senior pastor. So the, the senior pastor has signed his name, and below it is his title, senior pastor. So I'm, uh, you know, that, that's who has written this for whatever church it was that produced this. And good for him for doing this, too, because, uh, you know, I think this is a, a really good distillation. I, I don't happen to agree with it in a number of crucial places. I, f- I think that, on the one hand, it's, it's not accurate. So the whole part about, uh, you know, the story about why God came and God, when Christ gave up his life, he was sacrificing himself for us by taking the punishment we should receive for defying God. That is why Jesus was born and why he had to die. Now, some of what I'm going to say may sound, and I know we've talked about this before, but I'll say it again. Some of it may sound, oh, is that really that important? I'm not sure, Greg. Well, I think it's extremely important extremely important. I'm not picking nits or straining out minor technicalities because I, I just, just to be completely clear, I think if this is the direction that the biblical authors wanted to take, they would have taken it, but they didn't. We have to be super clear. I was not around in antiquity. That's first century Palestine. Those are the years that we may call CE, you know, 974. 30, something like that, or AD 30, if you want to call it in the old standard for, for denoting, uh, you know, time. I wasn't around then. Jesus didn't die for me particularly and for me having defied God. We've got to put this into its proper context. Why? Because interpretation is like real estate. There are three laws, location, location, location. <laughs> You defy those laws, you're gonna get something. Who knows what? But you're not gonna be satisfied. Well, I think and, we, I think we. And location, almost... location, location. I mean, the the general context we're reading in, the greater context. Like if you're talking the Bible, what's the specific contents of these verses? Second, what's the context of the verses surrounding it in the chapter or chapters preceding and and, and following, and then the book itself, and then broadly speaking, in terms of the whole text. So sorry, I'm I'm getting on a on a thing here. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I was going to say we could probably spend the whole rest of the time here, which is that, so I've heard this, this idea advocated, which is that as humans, because we descended from Adam and I know maybe you have, yeah, there are different perspectives on Adam and all that. We won't go there today, but the whole idea that, that as a human race, there was sin in the beginning. And so we inherited that all the way down the chain. Mm-hmm. And so we're just as guilty as the first person that sinned. Well, you see, I think, I think what's going on here is we want to feel involved. We want to feel like we are more important. And you know what? At this point, we're not. The important stuff going on when, when during antiquity, during the writing, the, 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 the events and situations that were transpiring – which formed the grist and the content for the gospel writer's work were to do with Jesus and the Jews and various others, but principally with Jesus and the Jews. What happened? Why did Christ come? Read. I mean, read it. Get in there and just freaking read it. This is what I don't understand. After this, <laughs> this is, I'm in Matthew. You're getting fired up. <laughs> this is, I'm in Matthew, um, we're at the beginning uh, we go through uh, three where John the Baptist appears. We go through four, uh, the first half of it where Jesus is taken into the wilderness and tempted. 
once that takes place, once that kind of wilderness scene of Jesus and, and if you like, uh, Satan or the adversary, uh, once they have this kind of uh, uh, interaction, that's when Jesus' formal ministry takes place. Jesus prefaces that ministry. And here I'm I'm just going to read. It's a very stark transition in Matthew, Matthew 4, 17, from that time. So it's just he's just finished with with dealing with this this adversary, right? With with uh, with Satan, or as it's termed in the the NRSV, the devil. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near." The kingdom of heaven, and inaugurating that, bringing that about, is the reason why Jesus came. That is why he came. It's in the text. You can't get around it. Right? And the context within which the inauguration of that kingdom is set is a context of covenantal relationship between God and a particular nation, the Jewish nation. And in that context, God says, hey, here's how it's going to work. Now, God begins, as I said, in, in uh, let's flip back, uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, by making a promise to Abraham before engaging in covenant making with Abraham about the same content. The promise precedes the covenant. God is already committed to a certain outcome that happens to be the same outcome that would come about if the Jewish people, if uh, the Israelites of that time had kept that covenant, but they did not. Now, they are in a bind. The Jewish people are certainly in a bind because the covenant, it's Hittite formulation in origin, which is interesting to note, and we could talk more about that later. Uh, the covenant has stipulations about what's involved, but also it has a series of benefits, which would be called blessings, a series of punishments or consequences, if you'd like to put it in today's terms, which were called curses. The blessings and the curses of the covenant. The Jews, the Israelites of that time, were now in the reality of, they were experiencing the reality of being under the covenant curses because they had not followed the covenant. So when Christ came, those who were defying God, those who had not uh, uh, abided by what God had given them in terms of content and instruction and uh, rules for uh, relationship with God and with each other and with uh, those around them were, were the Israelites. But the problem is that the promise was that, hey, listen, if you will live in a certain way, but God basically said that the promise was, I will make you a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. But the covenant was, if you live in a certain way, this will come about. This promise will come about. It'll be uh, fulfilled. And so, God is in a situation where God has already promised, listen, you're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, but look at you now. You're not working out too well, right? There's some big problems here. And so I think what's going on when we phrase it the way this pastor has phrased it, you know, that is why Jesus was born and had to die because we have defied God. And people sit there and they shake their head. What do you you mean we've defied God? Then we go back into original sin and blah, blah. And I just think, you know what, you're running roughshod and ignoring a vast, like the whole content, the whole backstory, so that you could do what? 
Exactly. You can convince people more readily that they're defying God and that they're acting in wrong ways so that what? So that they'll see what Jesus has done as being this huge, fantastic thing for them because they're already guilty. Why do you approach it through guilt? Why do you approach it through the negative? Why approach it that way? If you want to see a mystery, here's a mystery. Why did God make a promise before God made a covenant on the very same topics, the very same agenda? Why do it? There's no sense there. Well, there is if God is completely dedicated to what? To doing exactly what he promised to do. God was going to see that through in one way or another. You know, and already at the beginning, when you look at, say, Exodus 30 particularly, but Exodus 28, uh, pardon me, Exodus, um, Deuteronomy, um, you know, when Moses is going through the kind of the, 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 the not, not, not the exact nitty gritty of the covenant, but the kind of the overview, the meta, here's what will happen if things go well. Here's what will happen if things don't go well. So we're having this kind of um, meta conversation about the blessings and the curses of the covenant. And even in there, in in 28 and 30, you're seeing, and when it does not go well, and some people, some authors would say, hey, you know, this is God saying it's already not going to go well. I, I, you know, this is the the biblical author um, taking the perspective of God, indicating that there's a a real sense that uh, there's a good chance this isn't going to go too well. There's a good chance that these people are going to fail. You know, and so uh, God is already sort of aware, already involved. You know, I don't, I, I, I think part of my homework is, is to have a good close read of N.T. Wright's um, Jesus and the Victory of God, which is all about, you know, why specifically Jesus had to die. Um, but I think we can look at, um, you know, certain passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 53 and such, the suffering servant, we can see that there is a need for someone to keep the covenant. There is a need for someone to make good on this covenant in order for things to move forward with what? To move forward with the promise, which is what? Oh, that's where we're involved. That's where, that's where you and me and people who lived in wherever back in the first century, somewhere other than Palestine, who are something other than Jews, that's where they get involved. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so important that Jesus came. He brought about the kingdom of God, which is what? It's about the covenant being made good on, the promise being enacted, and God doing what? God reclaiming as God's own all that is. That's what's going on here. It's, and it's bigger than what they've put out. And it's not so eccentric. You and I are peripheral to this story. We really are in many ways. We weren't around back then. We weren't decision makers. And my ancestors weren't involved as far back as I can go. I don't know of any Jewish blood in my uh, family tree, my lineage. They weren't decision makers. They were neither yay nor yay, yay nor nay. You know, they're just kind of, they got lumped in. And thankfully, you know, God made that promise before God made the covenant. And God had every intention, obviously, by doing that, the implication is, I'm going to make this happen. It's a promise. It's, it's, it's set. And then that's also another reason for me why 
what's so mysterious? I mean, if you go back, I mean, you got to ask yourself, that's the mystery to look at. Why did God do that? Certainly not because it was good bargaining. Nobody, nobody could be fooled by that. So what's the answer? Well, I think because God is thoroughly committed to that outcome. And then the next question is, well, why? Both of these two pamphlets you brought out is this perspective. Just a second, you totally dropped out. So you said, so I said, what is the answer? And then you, I didn't hear you. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you said love, and I would say, yeah, definitely it's love. And I think what we're seeing in this pamphlet and in the other pamphlet, both of these perspectives, although they don't use the words, seem very focused on the idea, well, this one, this one's, this one's clearer. They seem very focused on the idea of God as sovereign, you know, and so, um, I'll just, let me just read this. Yeah, go ahead. The concept, this is from page three, halfway down. I'm just going to read like one, two, three, uh, Yeah, four paragraphs, and the fourth one actually you read, so I'll just read a little bit of it. The concept of sin itself is offensive to many. Popular belief likes to embrace the flattering notion that we are all essentially good by nature, and only nurture makes us bad. God's verdict on us is quite different. He measures us according to his standard, not ours. God measures us by whether or not we follow his law perfectly, and no one meets that standard. Some will ask why God can't just say, look, you're forgiven. Peace. That's the problem many have with God's plan of salvation. What many don't grasp is that our sin creates a chasm between us and God. A holy God cannot be part of unholy people. There has to be justice. There must be consequences for sin, and someone has to pay those consequences. If God lets our sin go, he wouldn't be just and he wouldn't be holy. He ceases to be God. Our sin and separation from God lead to all sorts of problems and pathologies in our dysfunctional world. So what's the fix? We need to be forgiven. But again, for that to happen, someone had to do the time for our crime. Divine justice must be served before our guilt is cleared and we have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus did. He could have prevented his death, but instead he went to the Roman cross as a lamb to the slaughter. And you read that part. And and again here, I mean... This is a very sovereign, focused perspective. On the one hand, there's nothing wrong with that perspective. You know, I think that's part of what it is to consider the atonement. Um, that's part of what's involved. But it's not the only one. It's not the only perspective on the atonement. However, this is a very sovereign-centric perspective. And it completely ignores the notion that God is likewise Father. God is sovereign and Father. God is both. And and some of this too, I think, is just uh, I, I don't know how you <clears throat> I don't know how this hits you, but this hits me as very severe, right? God's verdict on us on, on us is very is quite different. He measures us according to his standard, not ours. God measures us by whether or not we follow his law perfectly. And no one meets that standard. And remember, though again, here we don't have a law. We've not been given a law. The Jews were given a law. The Jews were our point of access to God, right? They failed to keep that that standard as they should, which is not about keeping it perfectly in the sense of, you know, this is this is again is a is a is a contortion and it's a misrepresentation because Paul, uh, I believe in Philippians, 
uh, or in Galatians, talks about himself being a Jew of the Jews. He kept the law. The law is not about being kept perfectly. It's about using the stipulations within the law for when you do things against the law, such that you will come back and you will maintain right relationship. It's not about being without error because the law itself makes uh, possible the reparation of error, of wrongdoing, of sin. You know, and again, I think the other thing about this, which I think bears mentioning, is just the last part of divine justice can be served, must be served, divine justice must be served before our guilt is cleared and we can have a relationship with God. God is seeking a relationship with us. God is not there saying, oh, you are so terrible. You are so terrible. You know, and then finally, when we kind of, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll use what I think is the shorthand that this pamphlet is aiming at. If we become Christians, then God says, oh, well, all right. There's no well, all right about it. There's a promise that was made before the covenant. There is an orientation which is overriding everything that we as human beings would think of as good sense, good bargaining, and just any type of savvy whatsoever that makes God act in that way. There is an orientation of love and commitment that is there from the very beginning and goes through to the very end. It doesn't mean that we are the focus and we are the central kind of, you know, uh, uh, preoccupation of God. That's not the case, right? Jesus doesn't come and say, listen, I've come to save your sins. It does say in the beginning of Matthew, he will save his peoples from his sins, but he's doing that as a secondary thing. By what? By inaugurating the kingdom of God, by setting up a, a way of reclaiming all for God, by God, because it is all from God and it is God's. And within that, Within the centrality of Christ's focus on the kingdom of God, we are, as, as, as I've said it before, we are epicenters of God's love. We are like these, in this, this kind of vast focus on God's kingdom, we are prominent moments of God's care and concern. We, we spark up, right? Boom. Oh, there's Greg. There's John. There's this person and that person and that person, you know, in a, in a way that's both no, I'm not central. It's not all about me. But I am included in a way wherein I can be most myself. Not being, you know, the center of everything, but not being marginalized either. So, you know, honestly, John, I could, I could probably take every, se every second sentence and certainly like two things per paragraph here. Um, well, I, and I was thinking to myself, how do we close this out? And I I come I'm what popped into my head was this idea that we've that I've that we've thrown around before which is I think what I would love to see from you would be your pamphlet your presentation of the gospel <laughs> message because I read this and I, this is like in my bones like yeah. this is this is the message mm -hmm. this is this is it mm -hmm. and you know especially the whole part about you know, a holy God cannot be with an, be part of of unholy people. There has to be justice. The consequences for sin is that someone has to pay the consequences, and you know, God can't. You know, so that's why Christ came to you know take care of those consequences for us. And so, it, yeah, I I'm just looking at this. I'm just like I don't know where to go next with this because mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying. I'm looking at this, and then I'm thinking to myself. Well, then where did all these churches and all these places get the, 
How did this become the gospel message? And, well, it's so easy. It's and so how is nice it that you so have a different easy. one? <laughs> because it doesn't work. I live with that one, and it didn't work. It can't stand up. But it to works stuff. for it tons of people. Work. Well, what are they trying? What are they putting against it? Like you can say, my car is a great car. Well, I'll tell you what. I live in Alberta right now, and the temperature outside is minus thirty. You bring you your serious? car from Florida with your tires up here, and you try and drive on my roads. You're not going to get anywhere. And if you think, you know, what's your conditions? What's your what's your test? What's your benchmark? Because if your benchmark is really, really hard stuff, you know, then I, I wonder if what you have got wouldn't turn out differently. And if, if part of what you, I guess, I think this is important to say, I live in a community and I'm just going to say this because I'm not going to mention any names, but I live in a community where I attended a church for a spell. And uh, uh, for reasons that I'm not going to bring out, I was ostracized from that church principally because of my beliefs. I was what, you know, and my, my, my uh, colloquial term for this is I was thrown under the bus. I've come back from Switzerland and I've heard a story about another family and they were thrown under the bus. This ties in with what we're saying in the following way. On the one hand, what's your benchmark? What are you, what is your test case that you're driving this against or within? What's your conditions that you're running this with? Number one. And number two, what I find is that very, very frequently this viewpoint and people who hold generally to this perspective are very willing to throw people under the bus. When people get in the way, they cause challenges, they raise questions about somebody's, about this view and they put you in a position where your view all of a sudden starts to squeak and clank and looks like it might malfunction. Because we must have the truth. Yeah, and the truth. But they have the truth, but the other person doesn't. (laughs) Well, yeah, but the other person is threatening the fact that my truth all of a sudden, I'm using mine in quotation marks, not mine personally, but this, this truth that we might have displayed in this pamphlet or represented by this pamphlet is all of a sudden seems far less viable and functional than it did just a moment ago before this person showed up and started making some comments or asking some questions or living their life in a particular way. And I'm, I'm not suggesting, you know, I'm a Christian and I was ostracized and thrown under the bus. This other family, very much Christians, ostracized, thrown under the bus. Under the bus. So I would really ask myself, first of all, What's, your, bench, what's your, your benchmark and what's your test case? Where are you driving this thing that it's, you say it's working fine? Uh, what's your weather conditions like? And the second one is, how do you treat other people? And this comes back to some of the other podcasts we've done where we answered a question uh, by a listener, you know, about how a church was responding to him about a particular uh, teaching of the church and... Um, you know, I think I, I would wonder if, if, if that listener wouldn't also characterize the way he was treated as being essentially thrown under the bus. So it's all about the truth and sorry about your luck, but if you're not willing to toe the line or accept our teaching on this or accept exactly what we want to see as a way of reparation or not even reparation, but a fix, then, um, you know, here are your walking papers. Well, that's why I love that we can have these conversations because I- – yeah, I can't think of anyone else that I could have shown this pamphlet to to just say, okay, w- like this is the message, but you're advocating something different. Can we talk about it? Can we potentially mm-hmm. critique this message? Because 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of in terms of publishing it, I don't I'll put it this way. If someone wants a scan of this pamphlet, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. I don't feel comfortable publishing it. Like there's no copyright on it, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just say here's the whole thing or not at all. And I don't feel comfortable like republishing it. So I'll send someone a scan of it if they want it. Don't you think, okay, well, I, I, just so I'm clear, like yeah. I'm not trying to push back against what you're saying, but <laughs> I was saying publish the whole thing, just black out the author's name. Well, my reluctance there is then we're not giving credit to the person that wrote it. Oh, well, then put his name in. If you, I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> Gee, I mean, he did write it, right? So he shouldn't mind. <laughs> no, but it, he I'd didn't. i stand by what he, I wrote. <laughs> he didn't write it to be published on the internet on our site. So, <laughs> hey, I that, got an idea. I got an idea. Why don't why don't I write him, <laughs> and we can see if he'll. I'm laughing because I'm thinking, oh yeah. Then he's going to listen to our podcast and go, what? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could talk with him. Uh, well, we don't have enough time to do that, so um, <laughs> we only have two days. I to am serious. I'm not being facetious, but okay. I see some of the problems with that. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so I think, how about we leave things there and we'll have more things. Well, okay. By way of closing, can you recommend any books since your book isn't available, it's yet to be written. (laughs) Can you point listeners and myself to a better presentation of what the gospel message is in the form of a book? I would really go, well, yeah, I would go with, with the, where I need to go, which is, I mean, I mentioned N.T. Wright's Jesus and the Victory of God. Now, that's a huge 600-page tome, and that's certainly addressing why Jesus had to die, and it certainly brings us right back and sticks us right in that, as I said, location, location, location. It puts us in that first-century Palestinian context, but also embeds that context in its interior location of the covenant so there's that. Um, anything that he's that uh, uh, N.T. Wright has written on Paul would be helpful for this. Something like um, you know uh, what Saint Paul really said, or um, new perspective. Uh, just a Paul. He's got a book out called Paul. Um, some of these others, like he's got some views. Remember, I was mentioning about this whole thing about the crime and the penalty and justice must be served and da 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 da. Uh, there's a book called Four Views on the Atonement, and Joel B. Green has a chapter in there. There are a couple other chapters in there. Um, that's helpful. I would just want to broaden it a little bit, you know? Um, <clears throat> I'm not saying that what this person's saying is irrelevant, and he's pulling it out of uh, the sky. I just don't happen to think that – I think this is a very narrowly focused, miscontextualized perspective that's ultimately um, – unfortunately skewing things and it's a very traditional perspective and as to why it's it's the it's 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 the message i think because it's easy it's mathematically simple it aligns with a number of ways of trying to convince people and we don't want to make things complex well you know the reality is if i was to write this john this guy has done this in whatever i don't know page size this is you said it's a small pamphlet I'd write it, it would be at least twice as long at the best. And and people might say, oh, well, if it's if it's more complicated and longer, then obviously it can't be as true because it should just be darn simple. I want to see it. Well, <laughs> I would bring it. 
All right, I'll try it. I'll try it. Well, my response to that is, you know, sometimes the simplest thing you can say about something is that it's complex. And I think, again, part of the problem is when we start simplifying things and skipping, like making this about, uh, you know, Jesus came uh, to sacrifice himself by taking the punishment we should receive for defying God. And we start reducing things to, to, to incorrect conclusions. We're going to go in wrong directions. This is a steering wheel and it's taken us in the wrong direction. So I'm not surprised that for a lot of people, when they read this, uh, or you, as you're talking about it, I'm not surprised that it's difficult. And I guess maybe I am surprised that more people don't find it difficult. Maybe just because this is the message and this is the only way and I don't have any other choice, right? This is this is what Christianity is, if I'm either going to do it or I'm not. Yeah, and it's we need to close. but And it's yeah. been repeated as ad nauseum. It's kind of, it's, it's accepted as the gold standard, at least in the circles mm-hmm. that I have been in. Right. So, all right, well, listeners out there, if this isn't the gold standard for you or we've just tarnished it, let us know. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 73. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.